In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. As has been said, this is the fourth Sunday after Easter, and there's just one more in the Easter season. Just as there are 40 days before Easter in the season of Lent, so there are 40 days after Easter before uh, the day of Ascension. So we're almost at the end. Given that, the Gospel focuses on the coming of the Holy Spirit because that's what happened. 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And then, 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit upon the church. In today's gospel, which records a talk that Jesus had with his disciples on the night before Good Friday, in today's gospel, the Lord refers to the Holy Spirit by two names, the Comforter, and the Spirit of Truth. Comforter means co-strengthener. It has the word or the root fort in it, as in fortify. So the Holy Spirit will strengthen or fortify us in the truth, in the truth of the Christian faith. The other title, Spirit of Truth, is the one I'd like to consider with you this morning. When he is come, Jesus said, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will guide you into all truth. So, first of all, from what Jesus says, we hear that the Holy Spirit is active and that the scope of his work is all-encompassing. He will reprove the world, the whole world. This is the scope of the Holy Spirit's work. Not a select group, but the whole world. And that makes sense, because as we say every Sunday, and as we know by heart, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This verse today speaks to us of God's great concern for his creation and for all people. The second thing about this is that we're reminded of God's almighty power. He can and will do this. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. But what exactly does that mean, he will reprove? The Greek word, verb for reprove means to expose. For example, we have a saying, when something seems to be covered up, we have a saying that the truth will come out. In other words, it will become clear at some point, the whole thing will be made known, 
So Jesus was simply saying that the Holy Spirit will expose the reality and the subtlety and the wide range of sin in the world. Some versions of the Bible translate this expose as convict or convince. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of the reality and the wide range and the subtlety of sin. In highlighting this verb, whether you go with reprove or convict or convince or expose, William Barclay offered this explanation. He said, this verb is used for the cross-examination of a witness or of somebody on trial or of an opponent in an argument. It has always this idea of cross-examining a person until they see and admit their errors. Such cross-examination can do two things. It can convict somebody of the crime they've committed, that this really was wrong, or it can convict, convince someone of the weakness of their own case and the strength of this other argument. You've been missing this. Can you see that by doing this, you didn't think about this? I find that helpful. So the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. He will conv convict or convince the world of sin. Here's one other example. When the Jewish religious leaders opposed Jesus and made the deal with Judas Iscariot and then had the Lord arrested and falsely accused and then crucified, they believed that they were doing the right thing. In their heart of hearts, they believed that they were standing up for what the Jewish religion stood for. But we're told later in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, we're told that when the story of the crucifixion was preached on the day of Pentecost, when it was all laid out, before those who had gathered in Jerusalem for that religious festival, they were cut to the heart. They suddenly had the terrible conviction that the crucifixion was the greatest crime in history and that their sin had caused it. But the conviction which the Holy Spirit will bring will not be limited, nor is it now limited, to those of the Jewish religion. He will convict the world, all peoples, of all cultures and races. He is doing that even now. We may refer to our conscience in this regard, but really, it is the Holy Spirit of truth who is at work, knocking at the door, prompting, nudging, whispering to us. I'd like to come back to this point in a few minutes. J 
Jesus also said in this morning's gospel that the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of righteousness. Barclay suggests that it becomes clear what this means when we see it as Jesus' righteousness of which the world will be convinced. He asks how it is that some of those first century people changed their tune, how they became converted to Christ. How was it that although Jesus was treated as a criminal and given the gruesome death of a criminal, that they be, later became convinced that he was the Son of God? How is it that people today change their lives and open their hearts to put their whole trust and confidence in him as their Lord and Savior? It is only by the powerful work, the powerful invisible work of the Holy Spirit. This is a very personal as well as corporate thing that the Spirit is at work in your life as well as in the life of the church as well as the fact that he is at work in the world. Thirdly, today's gospel says that the Holy Spirit will reprove or expose to the world the reality of judgment. That simply acknowledges something that we know deep down. We know that we are accountable for what we say and do or for what we do not say when we should say it and what we don't do when we should do it. We know that if we lie or if we're cantankerous or if we steal or if we have an angry outburst, we will eventually be called on our bad behavior. Eventually, a family member or a friend or a police officer or a judge or a complete stranger will point out our fault. We know this. And so on a much larger scale, most people seem to admit their belief in a final judgment on the day when we, with all people who have ever lived, will give an account of our lives to God as the supreme judge. Why do we believe this? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, who is at work even now, convicting us and challenging us on that point. The thing is, the Holy Spirit does these things is at work doing these things because of who he is. He is the third member of God, the Holy Trinity. Here's the point. We trust in the one who is perfect and holy, the one who is the source of all love and goodness, of all justice. We believe that his goodness and holiness is so great that God came down from heaven in the person of his son and took our sins upon himself. We believe that the son of God submitted himself to humiliation 
and suffering and torture for us. Why? Because he is holy. Because he is perfect love. And he wants to save us and redeem us so that we can live with him forever. Ultimately, he, his desire is the salvation of the whole world. So we worship and serve the living and holy God, the Father of lights, as he is described in today's epistle. In this Father of lights, there is no darkness. There is only what is holy and true. That's why God is at work by the power of the Holy Spirit, convincing and convicting the world about the seriousness of sin, because he is holy. He wants us to know the righteousness of Christ and the truth of his coming judgment so that we might turn to him and be in communion with him and be saved. Now back to the earlier point. I'd like to just think for a few more minutes about this thing that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. As Jesus says in a little bit after that, of sin because they believe not on me. What about the sin that the Holy Spirit is exposing or opening up for the world to see? What about that? It would be easy to leave this out and just let it remain as kind of a general notion. But there are personal attitudes and there are cultural trends of which we need to be aware of and convicted. I'm talking about behaviors which never were acceptable. Attitudes and behaviors which are unholy and cannot be supported by God's word, nor by his character. Things that have become not only legal, but also acceptable. Things that have even become acceptable in the church. I think the collect is pointing us to this in the very first line of it, or the second line of it, it's today it says, O Almighty God, who alone can order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men. What about the sin, the unruly wills and affections that are in the world that the Holy Spirit wants to expose? In his New York Times bestseller entitled The Benedict Option, Rod Dreher talks about the effects of our individualistic society. And he names these effects. Our materialism, the embracing of moral relativism, in this discussion that he has about our current situation, Dreher considers a book that's entitled After Virtue. 
It was written by a Scottish-born philosopher named Alistair MacIntyre. This book, After Virtue, is thought to be one of the most important works of moral and political philosophy in the 20th century. In it, as Dreyer says, MacIntyre insists that the Western world has abandoned reason and the tradition of the virtues in giving itself over to the relativism that is now flooding our world today. <clears throat> we even have a saying now that it's all relative. This idea that almost anything goes, really, or do whatever is right for you. That's relativism. So this Alistair McIntyre writes a book called After Virtue. And this other man, Rod Dreher, in reading it, starts to apply it, make, make application of what McIntyre says to the life of the church. And Dreher has a great concern for the way the church is going. Not just the worship patterns of the church, but the teaching of the church. McIntyre goes on to say that we are governed not by faith or by reason or by any combination of the two. We are governed these days by what he calls emotivism. Emotivism. The idea that all moral choices are nothing more than expressions of what choosing individuals feel is right. So I can decide what is right for myself, and you really have nothing to say about it. Whatever feels right is what I'm going to go with. That's the emotivism part. Emotion, feeling, emotivism is making decisions simply on what feels right. McIntyre goes on to say, to live after virtue in an, in an era when virtue is no longer a kind of a standard or a way of embraced by society, to live after virtue is to dwell in a society that can no longer agree on what constitutes virtuous belief and conduct, but also doubts that virtue even exists. In such a society, individuals hold maximum freedom of thought and action, and society itself becomes simply a collection of strangers, each pursuing his or her own interests under minimal constraints. If I do what I want to do and don't feel that I am under any standard, that's what society is going to become, simply a collection of individuals. The telltale marks of this highly individualized, unvirtuous society include these things. They're things we know, but here they are. Abandoning objective moral standards. When society, for the most part, was Christian, we took as our standard what the Lord told us in his word. 
but an after-virtue society has abandoned all moral standards. Our parents would tell us what was right, and we had an obligation to follow that. The government would tell us, and there were various organizations in which we worked or lived that had, that had standards to follow. But we're seeing more and more an abandoning of objective moral standards. Secondly, refusing to accept any religiously binding narrative originating outside oneself. So in other words, the Bible, God's word, abandoning that as the standard for our behavior and for our belief. Thirdly, dismissing the past as being irrelevant. It doesn't matter that that happened back then. It doesn't matter that there may be lessons to learn from that. I'm going to do whatever feels right to me, and nobody else is going to tell me different. And lastly, distancing oneself from social obligations and from community. One of the things that we know with families being dispersed and one of the things that's happened in New Brunswick, although there still are vestiges of this, is the loss of neighborhoods and of villages. So it, we still have that saying that it takes a, a village to raise a child. But really, we have to dig very deep to find those connections within a village or within a neighborhood. Families are, are very dispersed now and uh, could live all over, the, all over the country or literally all over the world. And so it makes it harder even for families to remain connected in things that matter. Yes, we can FaceTime, and yes, we have all kinds of technology to connect. But the influence that we have on each other is less and less because we're not as close in close proximity. Or at least I throw that out as a consideration. Whether or not you agree with all that's been said by Rod Dreher and Alistair McIntyre, as I've put it out there, I believe most people would agree that our culture has crossed a line in terms of virtue, in terms of truth as an objective standard and in terms of holiness. If you watch the TV for any amount of time, there are things that we now see that we would never have dreamed of seeing when we were younger, whether it be in terms of sex or in terms of violence or whatever it is. We have become highly individualistic. And the more we get, the more we want. Self, my individual self, has become like a god that is worshipped and served at every turn in my weekly agenda, in my energies, in the money I spend. Against this individualism, there is the community of God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
Think of that, three persons in one undivided unity. That is a community that is in this divine unity. And that fellowship of the Holy Trinity is a model for us as the creatures of God and the people of God. This blessed Trinity calls out to his creatures to draw near. Come unto me, the Lord says to us. Come to me. St. John saw this vision of the door opened in heaven. It's a welcome. The door is open. Come. But in order to come, we must repent of our materialism, of our trust in the things of this world, of our quest for selfish fulfillment. Come, the Lord says, and join the mystical body of Christ, which is the blessed company of all faithful people, comprised of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Come and be part of my family and find your true freedom and happiness in me. That's the offer and the invitation the Lord extends to us. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing even now. To close, in today's epistle, St. James said that there is no variableness or shadow of turning in the Father of lights. Think of that. There's no variableness. There's no shadow of turning. He's speaking of God's single-mindedness in terms of loving us and redeeming us. He is so single-minded that he offered his only begotten son to be the sacrifice for our sins that we might be saved. He sent his Holy Spirit into this world to convince people of their need for the righteousness of Christ. That same Holy Spirit is at work right now, convincing, convicting, exposing, reproving the world in this divine mission of God's salvation. I wonder in our neighborhood, who right now, sitting at their kitchen table, perhaps hungover, perhaps ready to take uh, an injection of some drug, perhaps uh, abandoned or uh, isolated from their family, perhaps wallowing in selfishness. I wonder who the Lord is speaking to right now in our neighborhood. As the children of God, may this word today cause us to examine our own lives with the help of the Spirit of Truth. May we repent of whatever unholy desires and attitudes and behaviors we're clinging to. The Lord is patient. He is merciful. Let us pray also for our friends and neighbors that they may heed the movement of the Holy Spirit, the prompting of the Spirit of Truth, and turn their lives over to the Lord that they too may find their true happiness and freedom in Christ.
Now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory, as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Amen.